the Word of God from Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Surge within our hearts, O Holy Spirit, enabling the interpreting and the application the reception of your word to waiting hearts, glorifying your Son. Amen. In every truth there is both negative and positive. Sometimes we major on one or the other unwisely. A Christian, at his best, will keep the balance of the plus and the minus. Now we see that in the text of the morning, verse 11 of chapter 6, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There is first the negative than the positive. And last time we meditated on the negative aspect. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. Remember, it was not that we are to die to sin, but rather that we are to believe that our old self died with Christ, passed out of existence. And that even the sin which clings to our body has been rendered powerless by the action of the Holy Spirit coming into us. And that in fact we have moved to a new realm out of the realm of sin into the realm of grace and of God's life. So that's very important for every Christian to realize. 
consider yourselves dead to sin. That is, having moved out from under its tyranny and the operation of its strength and grasp over your life, you have nothing more to do with it in the old sense. Yet, the verse doesn't stop there, and we're inclined to do that. The verse goes on and says, you must consider yourselves alive to God. If we stopped with the negative, we should be like corpses, passive, expressionless, dead to sin, but of what use to ourselves or the Lord? But if we go on and complete the verse, consider yourselves also alive to God in Christ Jesus, then something very wonderful opens up for us. A whole new realm is ours, the one in which we live and which we are to realize. Think of it this way. Here's a man on death row. He's in the prison waiting for execution. Around him is the aura of death. Every meal he eats, every book he reads, every letter he writes or receives has in it the overtones of the grave. It's right there in front of him. He makes no future plans, has no expectations. Suddenly there comes word that he has been pardoned. His sentence is over, and the door of the prison opens, and he is free. The aura of death is left behind. Now he has new possibilities, new adventures, he has choices to make. And those worries and all of those things that were appropriate for death row are over. He's entered a new realm. Well, that's a little what is meant here, though this verse is far more profound and deep in its transition. What this verse is really saying is that the Christian being raised with Christ lives in the realm of God. The Christian being raised with Christ lives in the realm of God. Now what is the realm of God? Let's try to make more specific what is meant being alive to God, that is living in his realm. It's illustrated in the life of Christ. Because when he came forth from heaven, he left a sinless existence and entered into a relation to sin. Not that he became a sinner, of course, he did not. But he became related to sin, that is, he encountered it. He combated it. He wrestled with it. The contradiction of sinners was upon him. as he was grieved by it and sorrowed by it and finally bore it to the cross and he was buried dead to it, then he rose again and entered into a new realm. It says, the death he died, he died to sin, that is to his relation to sin, and the life he lives, he lives to God. So that he lives now exclusively to God. He's in a new realm. 
and the great sweat drops of blood with which he agonized in this world are now inappropriate for the new realm. There's no more atoning death. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's over. Now he intercedes for his people at the right hand of God. Now he builds his church. Now he sends forth his ministering spirits to do their work. It's a whole new operation. New principles, new standards, new work is being done by Christ. He is not praying in the garden. He is not suffering for sin. He's in a new realm. And the glory of this passage is that as Christ made the transition from the realm of sin to the realm of God, he has taken us who believe with him in it. Because we are united to Christ. That's the great string that runs through these passages with all the different beads of truth strung along. But through them all is this idea that we are in Christ. That when we embraced him as a gift of his grace, we were incorporated into him. Not in some mechanical way but in a living, vital, organic way, like the hand is incorporated into the arm, or like the branch into the vine, or the living stone into the temple. That is, these dynamic figures of our having become one with Christ, united to him. And that's the song of Ephesians. You have been chosen in him. You have been redeemed in him. You live in him. Now, the only way for anyone to enter the realm of God is in Jesus Christ. It would be foolish to say that I want to enter the realm of God, I want to enter this realm, but not with Christ. That would be like entering a vacuum and say, I want to breathe. There is only one way to enter in the realm of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so, when Christ made the transition from the realm of sin to the realm of God, we made it with him because united to him, whatever he does, we do. Whatever we do, he does. And that's the meaning of this great passage from Ephesians 2, which heads the bulletin for today. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us with him and made us sit with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, lest anyone should think that this is a shadowy, imaginary realm, well, the preacher has his head in the clouds. I live down where my feet are on the ground, and I don't know what it means to live in the realm of God. I live in a, in a realm where I have to struggle for survival. Well, this realm, the realm of God, is more real than the material things you see about you now. Because someday, everything you see will be gone. But the realm of God will be permanent and abiding. 
the realm of God, the spiritual realm, is invisible. And we think whatever is not visible is not real. And what a trick our minds play on us. The Bible says, the things that are not seen are eternal. The things that are seen are temporal. So the realm of God is the real realm of life. And when you pass from the realm of sin into the realm of God, you are coming home. You are coming back to reality. You are living where truth is. Don't think of what you can see as the actual and the spiritual as vague and imaginary. Let me illustrate how you can be aware of the real world. There is a world that is around us here in this room that you're not even thinking of, I hope. <laughs> That's the world of radio and television. A hundred programs are passing through this room right now. But we're not thinking about them. They're here, and they're real in a sense. But we're not aware of them at the moment. In the same way, except move to a much higher power, the Christian lives in the unseen realm. He lives in the realm of God. And he's been placed there by virtue of having been united to Christ and moving out of the realm of the tyranny of sin into the realm of the love and grace of God. What is this realm? It's where, where Christ is. Because we're united to him, and it's the real, lasting realm of life. But now I'd like to describe for a moment life in this realm because I don't want it to be shadowy. I think even, even we as Christians have so bought into the materialism of our day and the things of life that we have lost track of the unseen and have come to think of the material as the actual. So let's try now to sharpen our perception of this unseen realm and describe a few characteristics of it. For once we could say this, it is a realm of purposeful power. When a man wants power, he may think that uh, God will just sort of infuse power into our breast somehow. Well, Bible power is not given by pumping it in. Bible power comes by being in touch with the source of power. And when you're united to Christ, the power of the eternal God is available to you, in fact, is working in you even though you don't realize it always. It, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said, God is at work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. There are times when you don't feel God is working in you. But he is. He's shaping you into a servant because he has all eternity in mind. You're going to serve him forever. And each day he's chipping away some of the things that keep you from being an effective servant. He's building joy. 
Because whereas you have known despair and depression and hopelessness at times, you're coming out of that and he is building in you a joyful spirit because he wants you to serve him with gladness. And he's making you holy. Someday, he's going to present you faultless, blameless before his Father. At that day, every wrinkle of sin will be gone. And he doesn't do that all at once. But he is making you holy now, a little at a time. And you must realize that the power of God is at work in you toward that day if you're a believer. You see, he planned this way back before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy and blameless before him in love. Then he united you to Christ, and now he's exerting his divine power to bring that purpose and plan into being. And nothing is going to frustrate him from it. Nothing. You may not feel like you're making much progress, but it would be a mark on the character of God if he fails to present you faultless at the last day before Christ. He will do what he has planned to do. Oh, you see, living then in this realm and realizing what he's doing, you can laugh at the devil when he tries to accuse you or say that you're getting nowhere or put you back with the world. Sneer at him and remember the power that works in you is greater than the power at work in the world. What sort of realm is this we live in? It's the realm of purposeful power. And it's the realm of a new perspective. I mean by that, that when you know yourself to be in this realm, you just don't look at the world the same way anymore. There is, in the Bible, a description of a man who went to heaven. Third heaven, it says, where God is, and returned to earth, and took up his life again. It was probably the Apostle Paul, for he is the one who describes it so modestly. He said, I know a man who went to the third heaven and came back. Now, suppose you were that man. How would you look at the world? You'd been to heaven and you'd come back to live for a little while when the world offered you its trinkets of possessions and said, go pursue them, live for them, die for them, you would laugh. Paltry pleasures, trivial treasures, what are they compared to what I've seen? I've been in the presence of God. I've seen his glorious majesty. I've walked about his presence, and you expect me to give honor these passing things, fool that you are. That's a new perspective. But you are that man. You are that woman. The Christian is one who has died, been to heaven, and returned. And we live like that. That's what it means to live in the realm of God. It means that the standards by which you judge the wise and important things of life are different now because you come from a different angle. Not only with your conduct, but with your intellectual conceptions of life. They are transformed. You look at everything different. 
from heaven's point of view. That's living in the realm of God. That's what it means. Consider yourselves alive to God. Or we could say it's the realm of perfect love. You and I have been under the wrath of God. We deserved wrath. Children of wrath, we are called. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us. In other words, he drew us out of the realm of wrath into the realm of his love. And that's where we abide now, in his loving favor. So much so that when our Lord prayed in John chapter 17, he said, that the world may know that thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Think of that. The same love with which the Father loves the Son is the love with which he loves you, beloved servant of Christ. Think of that. So love is the climate and the environment in which we have our being. Love is where we are. It's what motivates us. It's the currency of our kingdom. It's that which moves from God to us, through us to others, and returns to God. So the great love cycle goes on. What's the realm of God like? It's not imaginary, not shadowy, not unreal. It's the realm of perfect love and the realm of purity. I mean by that that when we were caught in the realm of sin, when we were still alive to sin, we were under its tyranny. We had no choice. Sin was inevitable. Sin spoke and we jumped. We had bonds on our hands and feet and tongue and minds. We were slaves of sin. But we've been moved out of that realm. And the impulse to sin has been broken. We no longer have to answer to it. Sin remains in our members, but it is not the ruling principle of our life any longer. We're in the realm of God. And that means that the sky is the limit as far as purity goes. That means that you can go as far toward Christ-likeness as you want that there are no limits to the moral perfection toward which you can strive. You can grow in holiness, ever refining Christian character to go closer and closer to God's ideal being. Oh, what a challenge, what a possibility, what exciting development that is. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, True Spirituality, makes the point that the Christian is able to say no. A marvelous point. The worldling, when confronted with sin, cannot say no. But the Christian, because he lives in a new realm, is able to say no. That's really what the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments are an outline for how the Christian ought to say no. I will not place something else before God in my life. I will not worship him in ways that displease him. 
I will not take his name in vain. No, I will not steal the day he has taken to be his own and make it for my own pleasure. No, I will not take the authority which he has put over me to myself and steal it. No, I will not take human life personally. No, I will not take sexual things which do not belong to me and use them for my pleasure. No, I will not take the property of another. No, I will not mar the reputation of another through untruth. No, I will not envy and covet that which is not my own. The world then can't say no. Well, we've been set free to say no to those things which would hinder us and displease the one who made us. Now, you see, Paul says in another place, lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on it. What he means by that is, as you live in the realm of God, realize that that realm extends out forever. And since you're going to live forever, purify yourself. And so the Christian who lives in the realm of God is forever going through the purging and purifying process. Zechariah 13.1 speaks of the river of God's forgiveness. And the Christian who lives in the realm of God is ever bathing in that river of forgiveness because sin clings to his members and he is forever asking God to purge him of that sin. He's looking at the brazen serpent so that he may be healed of that sin which still does reside in him. The way to walk with Christ is to be constantly confessing sin and constantly receiving his gracious pardon and his glorious forgiveness and mercy. What is this life, this realm of God? It's certainly a realm of purity and increasing purity. It's a realm of provision. Jesus said to us on one occasion, He that drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, shall never thirst. Meaning by that, that our God promises to meet every need of those who live in his realm, whether it be for comfort or for encouragement or strength or counsel. God will never let us thirst. He that believeth on me shall never hunger. And him that cometh to me will never thirst. When Hudson Taylor read these words, he was liberated from his fear. Oh, he said, living with God is the great never land. Meaning, I will never hunger and I will never thirst. Don't starve, my Christian friend. Live in the realm of God. You are there, realize you are there, and begin to draw from the wondrous resources of the realm of God. Thus we read in Philippians chapter 4, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What a realm to live in. That's where you are, Christian friend. Live there. 
What then are we to do according to this text? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, that we considered, and now alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, it's an exercise of faith. It doesn't say here, enter the realm of God. It says, believe that you've been placed there. It doesn't say, experience the realm of God. It says, believe that you've been placed there. In other words, it is calling us to faith. Faith was the beginning of the Christian life. That's how we came into Christ, was it not? Faith is also the continuance of the Christian life. We must go on believing that what God did remains and that he has actually transferred us out of the realm of sin and death into the realm of God and of life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the tyranny of sin has been broken and that now you are alive to God? You've been given a new position and a new standing? Cultivate the faith to believe that this is what God has done in you. Regard or consider yourself in that realm. Think of yourself that way daily. You see, our reactions are determined by our estimate of ourselves. When the world comes with its seductions and our own pride vaunts itself, how do we react? If you estimate yourself to be in the realm of God, you will react to sin and to temptation differently than if you estimate yourself to be still under the tyranny of evil. Know yourself under the realm of God, and your whole reaction will be new. Regard yourself, reckon yourself in this realm. Know yourself to be there. That is, this is to be the abiding conviction of your heart and mind. I am in Christ. I live exclusively unto God. This is to be the takeoff point of your decisions, your planning, your thinking, your doing. This is where you live. This is where you are. Regard yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus. And enjoy the blessings of this realm. God loves to see his people take advantage of the blessings. And in the realm of God, all things have been stocked there for you. Is there anything good in Christ? It's yours. It's yours because you're in him. Is there anything evil in you? It's Christ's because he bears your iniquity. The blessings of this realm are tremendous. The sinner cuts himself off from the blessings of God. The sinner not entering this realm cannot partake of its goodnesses. But Peter tells us by the Spirit that all things have been given to you that pertain to life and godliness. 
Everything you need for your Christian life and for godliness is, is provided in the realm of God. The privilege of prayer, the opening of Scripture, the blessing of love, the grace of forgiveness, the wisdom of God. All these are yours, and you are Christ's in the realm of God. Oh, dear friend, I encourage you to reinforce your understanding of yourself as being part of this realm. The world presses in upon you. The world tries to make you think you're not part of this realm. You see, you're... Your life in the realm of God is hidden to the world. That's why we have in the bulletin today that insert from Lightfoot's translation of Colossians 3. But you can read that at home and, and see how your life in Christ is hidden from the world. The world will ignore you, maybe even despise you, because they don't understand that you've been transferred to this new realm. Someday, when the veil is taken away, they will be dazzled by the brightness of the realm of God. But now it's hidden. But you know it. You know you're in the realm of God. And so I'm asking you to reinforce your own perception of that in a certain way. Let me suggest that every time you have an evidence of your Christian life, you use that as a reinforcement of your standing in the realm of God. For example... You're sitting in the living room reading the paper, and the impulse comes upon you to read your, your scripture. You put down the paper, and you pick up your Bible. Why did I do that? Ah, the Spirit of God is working in me. There's an evidence that I'm in the realm of God. Or you're reading, and you're prompted to pray. And you get down on your knees and you pray for someone who's put on your heart. Why did I do that? Oh, another evidence that I'm in the realm of God. You have a clear perception of right and wrong. Another evidence to reinforce my standing in the realm of God. You love God enough so that you're completely content where you are. Even though life is not perfect, there are things you would love to change. You're content because you love God. Another evidence. You love your neighbor so that when he has a great blessing and an advancement, you don't envy him. You congratulate him and you're happy for him. Oh, another evidence that I'm in the realm of God. And every time you see, no matter how feeble and weak your Christian life is, and how all of ours are, every time you see some evidence that the Spirit of God has made progress with your sinful life, I beg you, Chalk that up as another way of God trying to help you to reckon yourself in the realm of God. All the time, knowing that your sins cloud your perception of being in the realm of God. I know that. Whenever you sin, you become less aware of that realm. But simply by sinning does not take you out of the realm of God and put you back in the realm of sin. Once transferred into the dominion of Christ, you cannot go back. You live there. You no longer sin as a rebel, the way the worldling does. 
But you sin as a child against his father, and you need to repent of that. Your sin is not inevitable now as it was, but it is deliberate. And you need to repent of it and constantly be bathed in the forgiving love of Christ. Oh, what an adventure to live and know yourself in the very realm of God. The cross is your reminder. It's like a passport. When you look at your passport in a far country, you know you're a citizen of another land. And when you look at that cross, I want you to remember that Christ died for you, that you died with him to sin, and that he rose again to new life, and you have been raised to that new life with him. There's your passport. There's your citizenship, which is in the new realm. That's where you live, where you belong. And from that vantage point, you can live the Christian life with success and splendor. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, what mercy you have shown us that we should be brought out of the arena into which we brought ourselves by our rebellion, out of the arena of darkness, into the place of light and life with Christ, alive to God and dead to sin. Bolster our faith that we may realize where we are and remembering that, live out our lives from the realm of God through Jesus Christ our Lord.